This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. My name is Mark Madden. I am a super genius with the Tested IQ 66. I worked for WC in its dying days. In fact, many would say, but this is a whole new adventure. This is guaranteed to be all the way live. And on this card, I can only be second best at best because let me introduce to you the star of the show, the founder of the feast. He is the 16 time world heavyweight champion and he's uncensored. For the first time ever, he's the nature boy, Ric Flair. Tell him, Nate. Marco, how are you? Honored. Doing great, Nate. Uncensored. I can say what I think. Ed Koski's not here handing me a script saying, please <laughs> say what's on the script, Rick. Please don't say anything that's not on the script. Do not ad lib. <laughs> well, there, there's Ed, certainly- where we are. I'm, I'm ad libbing today, Ed. Well, there's certainly uh, no script for this show. And, H, let's open up by referring back to my intro. I called you the 16-time world champ, but by my count, it's more like 21. How many times did you really win it? 21. 21 times. Okay, so so Wikipedia is correct for a change. And Yes. I, I want to talk about one phantom title change in particular to open the show. Because in 1982, you went to the Dominican Republic to wrestle their local hero, Jack Venino. And when the match started, you were supposed to win. Yes. Mark, Mark, I have to interrupt one second. I went there without a passport because Carlos Colon gave the pilot of the plane, Eastern Airlines, 200 bucks for the gate agent to walk me in. I didn't realize I didn't have a passport and didn't realize I, didn't, I needed one. They got me in. And the next day, I couldn't get out. <laughs> and so I just had to throw it in. Well, how'd you, how'd, you, how'd you get out then? How long did it take you? Well, I was getting on an American flight to go back to Miami, and they wouldn't let me on the flight. So I ran the whole length of the airport to catch Carlos's guys. I had to fly back into Puerto Rico and then fly from Puerto Rico back to the States. Well, the, the match is definitely... Excitement. <laughs> well, the excitement was in the ring when you took on Jack Benino because, Nate, 
if if the stories I've been told are true, you were supposed to win that night, but you had to change things on the fly. Tell tell me how and why that happened. Well, it's even more interesting than that. The only guy that I can think of that is still alive, George Napolitano, was there with me. And we... The photographer. Yes. Um, from the wrestling magazine. The wrestling magazine guy, right. Great guy. And um, we were there. I was. They have a beautiful Sheridan there. He said, Rick, come look at this. And I came out and walked out. And there's this guy, five foot eight, maybe 160 pounds, running across the bridge. And there's 30,000 people. 30,000 people lined up. I mean, these what these are the figures I'm getting from the news and all that. The whole town turned out to see him training his last moment of training before he wrestled me for the world title. So we get to the building. They've already tipped over the taxi cab once. They've sold 20,000 tickets to a 10,000 seat venue. You tell me. <laughs> it was a nightmare. Well, then, then you get then you get in the ring and and. The fans got a little too close, didn't they? And there were soldiers with guns. Talk about what transpired, because it, it must have been one of your craziest matches ever. It, it was for sure, because uh, I don't think he, I'm not saying he couldn't have done, but it's pretty hard to wrestle an hour with someone when you don't speak the same language, not even close. And I never got to talk to him before the match. And so we decided through the referees that we would wrestle up a 30-minute Broadway instead of an hour. And at the end of the 30 minutes, he would have me a sleeper. The, the old thing, one, two, three, and the bell rings as my hand's going out. Well, they thought he won. And I wish he had won. <laughs> because when they raised my hand, we were playing hot potato with the belt. Referee gave it to me, I threw it to Veneno. <laughs> Veneno threw it back to the referee. And we, they literally beat the living crap out of me, getting back to dressing them. I can't tell you how many punches I got punched. And not only that, the military, the military runs state to this day, I think. And the military, in this case, were the bigger fans of Jack Veneno <laughs> uh, as the people in the audience. So it was really difficult and really rough. Well, right. You had soldiers with guns at ringside, correct? Yes, absolutely. Pointed at me. And... They gave Jack the title, if memory serves. That's the way the finish the finish played out. And he went on TV and gave it back because, quote, unquote, he couldn't travel to defend the title because he didn't want to leave his beloved Dominican. No, that's not true. Okay. I went back down there. I told him I'd come back. And he wrestled him for the title. So I lost it and won it back. I told him I'd go if I could bring Roddy Piper with me. And that was the deal. So Roddy went back in. Of course, you know Roddy, right? Right. Instead of just looking at it for the hostile community that we're in, <laughs> Roddy brings an American flag with him. So after Vadeno goes to the ring in this ceremonious, you know, unimaginable atmosphere, Piper is carrying an American flag and waving as we go down to the ring. And the finish this time would be where I shot Jack off and Roddy tripped him and on he went, I cover one, two, three. It never happened again. <laughs> they killed me, Roddy. I mean, they, they tore the building down. Roddy and I did not get out of that building till 3 a.m. in an ambulance. Now, now what finish did you use since they, since they didn't go with that one? We didn't use a finish. 
And we, we, I just left and never went back. <laughs> I got the title back and we were gone. Are you kidding? Well, again, uh, we, 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 we spent the, the rest of the evening in a house of ill repute. <laughs> and, and, and I don't know if you want to uh, say this, Rick, but they had an unconventional way of paying Roddy on that trip, didn't they? They did. Well, I wrote my book. They gave me $5,000. They gave him a spittoon of cocaine. Well, and 500 bucks. <laughs> he, he was happy. <laughs> I, I, I bet he was. I bet he was happy. You guys were both happy in the house of ill repute as well. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> when well, you think it might be your last time and never going to get out of a country, good Rick. We weren't assured to get out of the country. We just thought we'd have one good night together left. <laughs> well, we're still going to go with 16 time because that's, uh, well, that's what the script says. I hate to use that word, but uh, that's what you've always been billed at. Now, Rick, one uh, one conversation I want to have today, and this is going to get some headlines, is I want to know what you think of some of today's top wrestlers because there's a few wrestlers you've really never evaluated. And, you know, as the greatest performer of all time, I think your opinion uh, is the gold standard uh, for for how these guys should be rated. Never mind that five-star crap. I want to hear what Ric Flair has to say. So let's start with Kenny Omega, who just dropped the AEW world title uh, at their pay-per-view to Hangman Page. Uh, Kenny's had, you know, all these great bots in Japan with the Kata. He's been the top guy in AEW pretty much since he got there. What's your take on Kenny Omega as a worker? What are his pros and cons? I don't see a weakness. And after being in Mexico with him, when he wrestled Andrade, I became even more impressed because seeing someone on TV, being around him, meeting him socially is one thing. And he, he's a wonderful kid. But he, I, I think the fact that you mentioned he, he's wrestled everybody, every style around the world. And that's what it takes to really become a top guy in this business. You have to have had different opponents with different styles. And I mean, I, I put he and AJ Styles and Randy Orton. I mean, they're pretty much, I mean, there's, there's a lot of good ones, but I, I put those three pretty much in the class of their own. Like I put, I take the Young Bucks and the Usos as two of the, my two favorite teams. I mean, they're not a different style than Tully and Iron, but, you know, for way, the way wrestling is, is put together today and the way the guys are taught to entertain, I think the Usos are phenomenal and the Young Bucks are, they do some stuff I've never seen. So yeah. much, much respect to all of them. I agree with your evaluation of the teams, and we'll get back to them in a minute. But let's stick with Omega for a second because I agree. He's kind of a rare breed, a disappearing breed, because he has worked everywhere. You get a lot of wrestlers now who only work in one promotion, in one country, one style. They don't work all that many matches per year. And it kind of – I don't want to say it stunts their development, but it's a different kind of development. It's totally different, and it's unfair, um, really, to to judge a lot of these kids because they, they haven't had the opportunity to wrestle anywhere, as an example, at NXT or for the WWE. And, uh, you know, how many, how many different opponents are you allowed to have? You know, it takes, you know, five, six years of being there and then of having so many different opponents. That's how you improve as a performer. And certainly the people, if you're really good at what you do, they learn a lot from being in the ring with you and from your experience. One thing where I was a little, not doubtful, but I had questions about Omega when he came to AEW. Japan's a totally different style, very physical, very athletic. The matches are all very long, and it's a different psychology. 
but he came to America and adapted seamlessly to all that, didn't he? Yeah, and being the fact that he survived Japan will we'll tell you how tough he is. Because the wrestling over there, it's not like it was in the in the seventies and eighties by any means. But they the kids are tough. They're brought up tough. They go through these dojos. I mean, they're. There's nobody over there holding their hand. Uh, if you want to break into business, even to this day over there, you're going you're to pay the price. And, I mean, they're going to test you mentally and physically. Now, you mentioned Randy Orton and AJ Styles, and I uh, 100% agree with that. And the term I use to describe those two is foolproof. Uh, they've been involved in some stuff in WWE that I haven't been crazy about. Like, I wasn't a big fan of Bray Wyatt in the Fiend character. I thought that that character was so cartoonish, it damaged guys he worked with, but it didn't damage Randy, and he made it work. Like I said, he's foolproof, isn't he? Yes, and like I've said before, Randy might not be able to do everything AJ can in terms of the aerial stuff, but what Randy can't do, he can take, if that makes sense to you. Oh, yeah. He can work with anybody, any style. He can work with anybody, any style, and, you know, if – the great ones, and just like toward the end of my career, I was put in roles where I had to be, to survive, you got to go with the humor. They want to put you in a humorous role. I mean, look at me. They put me in a nut house for a month. I made it work. <laughs> for probably a good reason. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a shoot, I was going to say. <laughs> a lot of people thought that. That's, now he's normal. <laughs> well, well, Randy, like you said, can make anything work. And, and moving on to AJ. Incredible. Uh, I think he's foolproof as well. And he's another guy. He went through the ringer in Japan. He worked at Impact. He's worked everywhere, worked Indies, worked Ring of Honor, and he's excelled everywhere. And I think he's grown as a performer because of that. I think a lot of wrestlers would do themselves a ton of good by working in so many places, but I just don't think that's the way the business is ever going to be again. I don't think it will be either. But AJ, uh, I'll tell you this, for my money right now, AJ AJ's as good as Shawn Michaels. Really? That expand on that a bit, Nate, because that's a that's a pretty big statement. Well, you know, it, they both they both prove you don't have to be the biggest, but they can wrestle anybody big, like Sean's great matches with Taker and whoever else. I wasn't a big guy, but I could work with anybody too. And I mean, um, you, you not, not everybody's going to be six foot five. Not everybody's going to be built like like Lex Luger or built like uh, some of the young guys today with tremendous physiques. AJ's got a really good physique. He looks like an athlete. He carries himself like an athlete. And with Randy, you just watch Randy walk down the aisle. He doesn't do anything flashy, but you know you're looking at a world-class athlete. And the same for Omega. I mean, you know, some guys just carry themselves. And I call it, um, oh, God. It, I mean, you could just tell when a guy's standing there getting ready to tie up with it. it body is language. I call it body language. To be great. You never have to let the, you, you can never let the fans see you drop your arms, drop your guard. Or, or a body English and body language is so important if you want to be called great. I, I agree with all that. Why do you think AJ didn't get the career break? Well, the break with WWE, rather, until he was relatively late in his career. Uh, honestly, Nate, I'm going to say it's because he sounds so Southern. And that is a black mark in WWE. It just is. Always has been. Well, I don't know the answer to that. But I'll tell you this. I was there the first night he came out. And you would have thought he'd been there forever. 
because he blew the roof off the place. Clearly, the fans knew who he was. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he hasn't let them down since. And with that aerial attack that he brings to stay, I know he's had injuries, but to stay as healthy as he stayed during most of his run at WWE is a miracle. Because as you know, these kids, these kids put themselves through. It, it, you know, I, I wrestled 365 days a year, five years in a row with maybe one or two days off in five years. But I wasn't doing moonsaults off the top onto a table and stuff like that. You know what I mean? I'm not saying I couldn't have learned to do that if that had been necessary. Just like what Steamo would always say, if, if moonsaults had been in, Steamo would have been doing them. You know what I mean? That wasn't what happened in our time. But the kids put themselves through so much physically, the men and the women both, that it, um, you know, it, it's a miracle that they stay in one piece. I mean, it's uh, absolutely. What's your take on Roman Reigns, who is the top guy in WWE right now? I think Roman's awesome. I think he's awesome. He's got the look. He's a tough kid. He's a, he's a real athlete. I know I hate to use that terminology because I'm not, I'm not offending anybody else, but, you know, you play D1 sport and you're, you know, you come from a family like his. You've got to have a lot of, the word is grit. Um, and he's an incredibly handsome dude, man, with a really good body, good physique. And his psychology has gotten, like, just better. You know, I I felt horrible. I actually thought that, that there was something going on that day that he announced that he had uh, uh, leukemia. And I went, my God. I, I was shocked, you know what I mean, to think that he had battled that. But he's come back from that. He made it through the COVID, thank God. And that, you know, because if you have a pre-existing disease, the COVID has made it worse for a lot of people. But. I think he's fantastic. He's a, he's a flagship guy. The two flagships. Can I bring it up a sure? Of course, <laughs> I want to hear it. Two flagships. Go ahead. Be the queen. Oh, no question. Or, you know, queen or Sasha. I'm, I'm really high on Sasha. You know what I mean? I'm never going to take. I would say they're tied. Well, I, I I think I I think Charlotte and Sasha are two of a kind. I think they stand alone. I would like to see Doctor Britt Baker get involved. Uh, wherever and whenever with those two, because I think she can be in a class with them. But I agree. I think Charlotte and Sasha are hands, uh, hands and head and shoulders above everybody else. Yeah. And before we get screamed at, that's not, that is not taking away from anybody else's skills. At, At every sport, at every event of any competitive nature, someone is going to be better. And you know what? If, I don't know the difference. Nobody does. That's exactly right. That's why we're doing this podcast, Nate. You tell them. No, I'm just telling you. I mean, people hate it, but there, there's some people are just better. No question. And doesn't make that doesn't mean the other ones aren't good. There's a huge, huge difference between the word good and great. Great is a word that should be bestowed on maybe in in in, in both companies, maybe eight people. I agree. It's like it's like all the halls of fame in sports nature. We've turned them into the halls of very good. Yeah, exactly. I agree that that we should we should designate you know use the word great very sparingly. And and I I agree with who we've talked about so far. One last thing about Reigns, he seemed to take off when he got involved with Paul Heyman and when the Usos became part of his act. How much of how much has Paul and the Usos contributed to his success? Oh, I think it's been a phenomenal. It's a team effort with those guys. Number one, they're best friends. Number two, they're great guys. 
Number three, they're family and they protect each other, look out for each other. And Paul brings all the wisdom, the knowledge, and Paul just plain gonna get, he gets heat with me. Because <laughs> he thinks he's a better talker than me. No way, Paul Ham. No way. You're always gonna be number two or three. Oh, well, Piper's gone, so number three or two. <laughs> if you watch wrestling videos on YouTube, there's a pretty good chance you might have seen one of Chris Van Bleet's interviews. But you might not know that he has a podcast too. It's called Insight with Chris Van Bleet. He has plenty of great guests, but what makes the show unique is Chris's laid-back interview style. It feels like two friends catching up over a beer. Some of his recent guests include Conrad Thompson, Jeff Jarrett, Kurt Angle, The Rock, John Cena, Chris Jericho, Buddy Murphy, and a lot of people from outside the wrestling world like actors, comedians, and other celebrities. As I mentioned, Rick's son-in-law, Conrad Thompson, was a guest on the show not too long ago, and Conrad talked about things he had never discussed in an interview before. The people who have influenced his career, what he looks for when hiring new employees. He also gave a behind-the-scenes look at what goes into making all of his shows. Again, the podcast is called Insight with Chris Van Vliet. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Insight with Chris Van Vliet. For more info, go to chrisvanvliet.com. Now, uh, I, I want to talk about two guys that AEW brought in. They brought in Brian Danielson and CM Punk, who, who were certainly stars by any definition of the word. But uh, what have they contributed to AEW, and where are their careers at as workers? Well, if I'm looking at the ratings, I don't know what they've contributed to. Um, yeah, certainly, as you said, both big stars in the business. Both have had a lot of success. Um, but I, I don't know what they're – I don't know – I don't know what, how to answer that question because all you can do as we do with football or any other show is look at the ratings and if the ratings are indicative. I mean, I think they would go up, but to me, to me, that show should never do less than 1.1 million. If they, if they get there once and bring in all this talent and go back, that, then there's something wrong. Yeah, I, I agree. And you and I have talked about this before, but I want to bounce this off you here on the podcast. But, but that doesn't mean it's any one. It's no one person's fault. Oh no, no, no! But I'm just saying, if you have that much talent on your roster, and you reach that goal, and go, oh my God, we've hit the one million. For myself, I would be. I mean, we all live to look at the radio, especially our segment. Where our segment? How do we? How long were we? Were we on the crossover? I mean, it's an insane business that we compete in with ourselves mentally, and they compete in right now because they're in the business. But if I'm looking at the ratings in the show, you know, I don't know what the breakdown or who does what or anything. You just say all this talent, they need to be at a one-one, I think, and never go back and build from there. hundred percent agree. And to be fair, I don't know Danielson's quarter hours. I know Punk's quarter hours have done very well since he got there. But you and I have talked about this off the air, and I want to bounce it off you here on the podcast I really like AEW. It's the only wrestling program I watch from beginning to end every week, the Wednesday night show. But I, I got to say, the reason I watch it and the reason I think it caught fire out of the gate is because of the younger guys and the guys who weren't overexposed on WWE TV. I watch AEW to see MJF, Jungle Boy, Sammy Guevara, Adam Page, uh, uh, Darby Allen, and uh, you know, 
and guys like FTR that, you know, didn't get their due in WWE, the Young Bucks who never worked WWE. And I think to recycle guys from WWE, no matter how talented they may be, is steering the promotion away from what, like I said, got it out of the gate so quickly. Yeah, you know, Mark, I don't know the answer. To that. I, I watched, you know, I, as you know, because I have a daughter in the business, I watched not only to watch the product, but I watched to see, you know, what she's competing with or what, you know, what, what our company or WWF or WWE rather, or AEW, I like to watch and see because it, it is competition. Like it was switched back and forth yesterday between Seattle and Green Bay and then whatever <laughs> other good game was on. You know what I mean? You switch back and forth, but it's a comparison. It has to be. There's nothing else. And as the fans, I'm sure they're going, they all have their favorites. You know, I, I just, I feel like social media, which is something we never had, um, you know, that was so demanding and so relevant to what these kids and how they think of and how they perform and how they feel about themselves as individuals. It's, it's, it's overwhelming sometimes. You can't make everybody happy. And if there's one negative comment or one negative opinion, it's just somebody trying to get attention. You know what I mean? And they, and they come at you under, under a, not even a real name. Give me your name. Who's they? You know, you have an argument with your wife, right? They said this about you. I said, who's they? <laughs> they said it. Who's they? Just tell me who they is. Hello, they. Hello, they. Well, you were doing this. How do you know that? They told me. Well, really? Okay. Well, I've had four wives that all said, you were doing this. I've never admitted anything. And I go, they. Who are they? <laughs> I'd like to get you and all your wives. No comment. No no comment. I'd, I'd like to get you and all your wives on Twitter together. How would that be? Yeah, I love that. Woo, and I can tell you this, none of them are remarried. There's only one Jim There's only one Jim Dandy out there, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Now, uh, you mentioned the Young Bucks before, and one thing I want to say about AEW is I think they've revived tag team wrestling to a degree. You got FTR, you got the Lucha Brothers, yeah. you got the Young Bucks, you got Santana and Ortiz. And it reminds me of, of like the 80s in the NWA when you had tag teams that got together, stayed together, wrestled like tag teams as opposed to just four guys in the ring wrestling and really became identified together. And I think that's a good thing. I think every promotion needs different stuff. And it's hard to say, it's hard to believe, but tag team wrestling is now different stuff. It's it's off the main road. Yeah, well, but it's still, it, it's exciting. I, You know, for me, and this is just my opinion, I like when they keep it down to, to six people. When you get eight people, I mean, nobody, I'll make a statement that I said the other day publicly. So, if you if you look at all the guys that have come in, uh, if you take uh, uh, Brian, if you take uh, CM Punk, um, whoever else come in, I guess oh, and Adam Cole, the one that's gotten over the best is Adam Cole. If if I'm watching the show, because he's had you know marquee matches, he's been in the right spot, and he's not putting he's not put in a, in a situation where there's 35 guys in the ring because nobody can get over. Does that make sense? Absolutely. The ring, the ring is so full of talent that you're going like this. And if I don't know who they are, you know the audience doesn't know who they are. It's impossible for a person to become a star in a scenario like that. Well, yeah, I, I'm in total agreement. In fact, I'll go one step further. I don't even like six-man tags, Nate. I, I, think, I think a regular tag match, with rare exceptions, unless you're going to you know settle a feud like in war games or 
AEW Stadium Stampede. I, I think to go past four guys in the ring, like you said, the guys become unidentifiable. Well, if you have, a, if you have thirty minutes, six, we did six, we did six bands forever in the eighties, you know, and even five men. But you can't. You have to have thirty minutes, not ten, because nobody gets over. Does that make sense? No, no Tony makes and Iron, I mean, before it was Nick Bockwinkel and Ray Stevens, and then it was Tully and Iron. And I didn't see anybody. And I've seen a lot of really good teams. Oh, I, I take that back. I thought when James Storm and Bobby Roode were together at TNA, they were one of the best teams I'd seen. And they split. I can't remember why. But to see these guys come along now and then to see Jimmy and Jay, who weigh 240 pounds, they're big kids, legit athletes, bounce around and take the bumps with Ray Mysterio and his son. And the next day, wrestle with that team that left the WWE that's with, uh, they're really good too. Um, the ones that like Tully and Iron so much. Yeah, FTR. Yeah, FTR, yeah. I think those guys are great too. Yep. And there's an example, you know, like me, I never had a, I never had a, I had an average body. I never had a good body. Those guys have got an average body, but they can work. So if you want work and skill and talent, boom. You know, there's a lot of guys that might look better. Just like there were a lot of guys that looked a lot better than me. Oh my God, I'm wrestling Kerry Von Erich. I'm wrestling Luger. I'll give you an example. List Hogan, all these guys with, with better bodies. But I knew who I was then. If I wasn't having some period or lapse of self-confidence. But I never thought about it. But And those kids just go out there and they just perform. And they're great. And they're, they're, not, they're never going to look like Roman, who is. But they perform at a very high level. Roman, I mean, the Usos, man, when they're healthy. Look at the stuff they do. And they're doing Ray Mysterio stuff, and they weigh 240 pounds. Well, let me let me tell you one complaint I do have about AEW, and it's probably going to be perceived as nitpicking, and maybe it is, but their roster is so packed. They have so many guys, and they add more all the time, that I don't get to see the guys I want to see as often as I'd like. Like, you, you take a team like FTR, they might wrestle on TV 10 times a year. And that certainly is not like the old days when you would literally see Tully and Arn all the time. I get that. But see, once again, Mark, and, and I'll, that's why, you know, people complain, not, not complain, people say, well, it's the same thing on Raw every night, same thing on SmackDown. Well, if you're the champion, they're the best. They they got to be on TV. Right. So I don't know, you know, I don't know how uh, Tony does that over there. And I know that the, with the WWE, if you're really good, you're going to be on TV. Right. And that, and that just did. And people complain about not having the opportunity or that they're being held back. Well, you're never going to be held back if you're better. Does that make sense? Ab absolutely. I will never buy that as a student. If you're better than somebody that's on the show and you walk and knock on his door and say, Mr. McMahon, I would like a chance to prove that I'm better than he or she, he'll give it to you. He does, he's not going to hold anybody back. In a lot of their minds, they're better, but they're not. But it's good to have self-confidence and self-esteem and feel good about yourself. But he's not holding anybody back. There's no no political notion that people are being held back. I, I don't I don't agree with that. And I, I'm sure that, and I'm sure the same applies with Tony. If you're good, Tony's going to see it. Oh no no no! I, I think Tony's done a brilliant job actually creatively. Yeah. I just think he has twenty pounds of sugar for a ten pound bag. I don't think there's any way to get all his talent on TV. And I can't help but wonder if guys who feel like they've been underutilized, if he might ultimately chase them to WWE when contracts come up. He might, but 
uh, WWE, it, for, for whatever anybody thinks or tries to judge them or, or thinks bad about them, he's two steps ahead of the game. And unless you are really special and you walked out that door or been released or left on bad terms or whatever, you've got to be really special to get back in that door because they don't need you. They don't need negative commentary. They don't need people walking away, complaining they didn't get this, they didn't get that, they didn't get this. If they were good enough, they would have gotten it. The whiners, the whiners just need to go home and whine. Tell their wife a story. You know, <laughs> go for a boat ride. Tell yourself, you know, ride down the road with somebody like we used to do in the old days and knock everybody in the goddamn show. <laughs> but don't don't do it online, okay? <laughs> Yeah, we we did do that, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, Are you kidding me? We rode on the road. I knocked everybody at work with. Are you kidding me? What one of my favorite trips I ever took with you when you were on your retirement loop with WWE, and uh, remember the old Pittsburgh loop would be you'd fly into Pittsburgh and you would work Johnstown and Wheeling and Erie, and I and I drove with you and Hunter. Uh, I took a few days off work and drove with you and Hunter, and that was very handy because Hunter doesn't drink, so we just made him drive all the time. I know, I know. Hey, I have racked my brains trying to get him. To, he spends more money on steaks than I do on booze in one day. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> no, listen, the best trip, though, were with you and I and DBS oh. for a week. When, when Ted would quit drinking, and I'm never drinking again until the next night. <laughs> the next night? Try the next exit on the highway. Every, everything in moderation, though, because we were, of course, uh, driving. Oh, never drive you never a problem travel. there. Never above the legal limit. I can tell you that for short. Now, <laughs> Nate, you mentioned you mentioned uh, Hulk Hogan before, and I want to uh, take a trip down memory lane here. Talk about your arrival in WWE in 1991, which happened 30 years ago this fall. How many times did that almost happen in the past? And what was the holdup? Five. Really? Five five false alarms. <laughs> well, what happened? What what killed it? What delayed it? I, I, well, I had a disagreement with Dusty about stuff. You know, I mean, you know, as, as much money as we made together in one of my favorite opponents of all time, the, the world champion, if he's working under the umbrella of a booker that wants to be the world champion or has been a world champion or wants to make sure that he's on top of the world champion, you're going to get, you're going to have, conflicts right so i called one day and i called and i said vince can i come he said yeah and i said i want you to wrestle uh i i said what i said what what do you have open for me if i come and he said uh you and savage i think it was for SummerSlam, but it was at the garden or something with some huge you know opportunity for me but at the end of the day which is one of the bad bad, bad mistakes i've made i made is I just couldn't leave Tully and Arn and Barry. And, I mean, those guys were my heart and soul. When you travel like we did, I mean, guys, people don't realize this, but at Great American Bash Tours, we were on a private plane to a different city every night for 46 days, cutting our head every night, the war games every night, drunk all night. We would <laughs> we would give the, the pool boy in Vegas $500 to hold the five chairs open for us we, and we, with a satellite for us. We, we stayed at the Tropicana, flew over to Albuquerque, did the show back at Tropicana. Flew to Frisco, did the show back at Tropicana. 
Seattle, back to Tropicana. Um, LA, back to Tropicana. <laughs> Five days of that. <laughs> and I was running on weeder products. <laughs> Probably the only one. <laughs> oh, I, had a, I had a nervous breakdown flying home. I'm not kidding you. I said, Sting, can I talk to you? I said, about what? Just anything. <laughs> <laughs> and the last stop, the, our last stop was Kansas City. I went home and I had to wrestle Brody for an hour. Uh, I go, Frank, what do you want to do tonight? I'll get back to you, Ricky. Harley, <laughs> don't. What, what, are, what are Brody saying? Said to get back to me. I'm going to get Brody tonight. I'll take care of him. He'll do what I tell him to do and he'll like it. Harley, please leave him alone. <laughs> I got to work this one out. That's the way it went. Let me know if Frank's difficult tonight. Okay, Harley. <laughs> I will. <laughs> anyway, Brody was the greatest. Had more fun with him, too, boy. And talk about a guy that could work, a working machine. Oh, for a big man, there weren't many better big men ever. Never. Only only a few. I mean, a guy was and in tremendous shape. You know, those guys, really, they fought for their lives every night. I'll tell you a great story just out of context about Brody. Sure. So Brody and Hanson, they ruled Japan, and they made a fortune, deservedly so. They were that good, and they were that intimidating. But, man, they put Tenru and Dick Slater together in a tag team match. I just watched it the other day. I had to pull it back up. <laughs> and Slater said to me, watch. <laughs> nothing, nothing even close to the kind of match they used to have with the other guys. Not even close. Nobody, nobody ran into Dick Slater. And Tenru was tough, too, but not like Dick. And it was, I thought, I thought watching myself, of course, I didn't say anything. I wanted to say, Frank, you guys slow down a little bit out there, man. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, but I wanted to. <laughs> well, well getting, getting back to your arrival in WWE in 1991, why did they not go to you and Hogan on pay-per-view right away? Because everybody would have seen that as a world title unification match. You had the NWA belt with you, and they did do you and Hogan at some house shows. I saw one of those in Pittsburgh why didn't they do it on pay-per-view? I don't know. I've heard two stories. One is um, that they were having a cash flow problem. And uh, so we that, let's say, we, like, we sold out Boston. We sold out L.A. Oakland, we sold out. The Garden, we didn't sell out. Okay, our first show in the Garden, we did not sell out. So I don't know whether people didn't think I could draw. Because it's fun. It's a whole, my whole career had been Southern based until I got the belt. Then I'm traveling across the country, but I still was never mainstream TV on the East Coast. So being the NWA champion, I never was in New York. I never was in Philadelphia until, until the small building came along. Okay. And then we were there every night. We even went against those guys and uh, when they were in the spectrum, we all got together afterward, which was a good time. But, I, I don't think maybe they didn't perceive me as being over enough. Um, I, everybody speculates that it would have been the biggest thing ever, but you never know. I've heard, you know, Hulk wanted to go off and do TV, and um, and she did that Thunder in Paradise show. And, uh, you know, who knows? I, I've never questioned it. And everybody keeps, to this day, people say, aren't you mad about that? I say, mad about what? I spent a year and a half. I wrestled Bret Hart. I wrestled Hogan. 
I wrestled Jake. I win the Royal Rumble. I wrestled Savage. I win the World Championship twice. And then I go back. How can I be mad? I traveled with DiBiase, Piper, the Nasty Boys, the Road Warriors. I mean, look at the crew we traveled with. When we went to Europe, it was the hoedown. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I think what you're saying has some validity, but, but I think you're too humble, too. Let me tell you a theory I have as to why they didn't go with it on WrestleMania, because I saw that match at a house show in Pittsburgh, which was very close to sold out, by the way. And they booed Hogan and cheered you. It wasn't universal, but it was definitely a mixed crowd. And I don't think WWE wanted that to get on pay-per-view. I don't think they wanted that to get on TV. You look at the Royal Rumble, which we'll talk about at length in a later podcast, Rick. But that Royal Rumble, they cheered when you won. They went nuts. They booed Hogan with that routine at the end. And I just don't think Vince ever wanted that on TV in a singles match. Yeah, I, I don't know for sure. I'll tell you, I, the guy that doesn't get nearly enough credit for helping me when I first came there, I got the Bobby Heenan rub. Yep, yep. You know, I, you know, you know, you know the story, right? Bobby went in the road with me for one weekend, and we we did uh, <laughs> we, we did L.A. Uh, L.A. Uh, or we did Oakland, L.A., San Diego, Phoenix, and back to the Garden, right? So we go out to get ready to do Oakland with Hulk, and he says, I, "I'm just going to stand in the corner. I don't do anything more." I said, "What do you mean you don't do anything?" says, and I, I, you know, if Rude didn't like me to do anything, I'm, I'm not going to do anything. I said, well, I don't care what Rude wants you to do. I want you right here with me. I want Bobby Heenan from Minneapolis. Then, and so do the fans. He said, are you sure? I said, Bobby, you're, you're goddamn Bobby Heenan. Please be yourself. Who, by the way, in case people don't know it, was a great worker. Oh, I know. I know. Bobby Heenan. Oh, yeah. No, no. Not good. I know. Great. Bumps. I mean, he didn't have to go out and wrestle 30-minute matches. But whatever time he put in the ring... He was great. Great punch, great kick. I mean, everything, facials. So I got the Bobby Heenan rub. And when Bobby went on the way home on the red eye for the garden, he looked at me and said, I hope you die and your hair grows back red. So <laughs> <laughs> he walked in the garden, he quit. He looked at me and said, I'm done. He said it in his Hall of Fame. He said it in his Hall of Fame induction. But he didn't. Didn't sign on to manage Larry Flint. <laughs> I, I I don't know how I ever got that tag. Having had, having had a taste of that myself, I can certainly <laughs> sympathize. Uh, but but no, you say you're not mad, Rick. But but isn't it a regret? Maybe not mad, but at least a regret that you and Hogan never headlined WrestleMania because that that would have had more impact then than when you guys did it in WCW, and I would think that's specifically why Vince would have brought you in. I, I still can't believe it didn't happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I but Mark, I swear to God, if people, I, I'm, I'm answering this, we're uncensored. I don't think about it. I didn't then. I was at WrestleMania. I'm wrestling Savage. We had a decent match. It could have been a lot better, but Randy, obviously, for very well-known reasons, was so distracted. That was the last time he and Liz ever saw each other and worked together. It was a very strenuous week of preparation. And, uh, but uh, aside from that, I thought we had a decent match and, uh, you know, they went their separate ways. But, um, you know, I've always had a lot of time for Randy. I helped break Randy into business. He came into Charlotte. He'd been playing a minor league baseball for the Cardinals or the Reds, one or the other. Cardinals, he yeah. Came in and, uh, he came in and he was a 170 pound kid and 
you know, to this day, I, I have some, I have a lot of respect for Randy. I don't think he's a great worker, and, 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 I, I, and I, I can give examples why, uh, but I thought he was really good, and he had a great gimmick, and uh, he and Liz were just delightful, and in my mind, and always will be two of the biggest stars that I've ever had an opportunity to work with. You know, I got to bring up, this is off the top of my head, but when you uh, won the title a second time from Savage at a TV taping in Hershey, PA. Don't even bring it up. I was there. I was yeah. there because I got smartened up. In fact, I sat with your wife at the time, which was just uh, delightful. Which and, one? Uh, uh, Beth. Okay. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you got to have that timeline memorized at, at, at the very least, champ. But uh, I never know. It, 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 gets, it gets confusing sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I recall correctly, that match got started. Excuse me. It started. It stopped. Yep. Vince stopped it, and then you redid yep. it. What what exactly happened there? I'm not sure I ever got the whole story on that because obviously it got edited for TV, but if you were there live as I was, it was kind of confusing. Yeah, it was. We just started out. It was it, 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 People didn't want to see the match. They weren't reacting. And I think Vince saw that right away. He ran. I think he sent Razor down or somebody or Bobby to stop the match, you know? And I, I, it's, that's why I was giving him back the title, I think, right? No, no, you won the title. Oh, I won the title. Okay, I, I couldn't remember. Yeah, that was your second title win, right? Oh, yeah, after, after Mania. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know what the deal was. I know that Randy didn't want to lose it. It's one of those situations. Um, you know, you have to remember that I came in out of nowhere, right? And I didn't have, you know, I had a lot of friends there. I wasn't, like, I don't think I was held in the same esteem in Randy's eyes. Um as a guy that has been there for a long time, you know what I mean? Yeah. Who knows? But it, it's one of those things that just didn't go well. And it, the match actually, the match was absolutely horrible. Um, I mean, it's nothing I can ever say I'm proud of, but I can't tell you, I, I can't remember all the mechanics of it. I just know Vince wasn't happy with it. Randy didn't want to lose. Um, and it's pretty hard when someone doesn't want to do business. I didn't take it personally. But in, I, don't, I don't know. I, I just think that they thought that without Liz, Randy didn't have as much um, drawing power as he did with her. That'd be my take on it. What kind of relationship do you have with Hogan now? Great. How often do you guys talk? Uh, every two weeks. Every two weeks. Um, he's uh, having, he's had some really bad health issues. So, and... Uh, but he keeps up with me. We support each other, good and bad. Um, you know, when I was in the hospital, he flew up that day. And, um, and you know, like everybody else like that came to see me, Charles Barkley and Darius and people, any celebrities that came, they got mobbed by the hospital staff. And they were, Hulk was gracious. Jimmy Hart was great. I don't remember seeing him because I was in a coma, but they made the effort to go, you know, which is... Um, those are the kind of things that mean a lot. And also, which I've said publicly, when my son was um, going through all the issues and <clears throat> was in the hospital, I couldn't keep up with the rehab bills or the hospital bills because every time I gave him, you know, the responsibility of paying his own insurance or something would lapse or his phone bill or, you know, at some time you try to, you have to teach him how to be responsible. And um, I called him one day and I said, man, I need $14,000. He said, call this person. I had it in an hour. 
I've never forgotten it. Well, and you and Hogan, when you worked together, never had a contentious relationship, did you? No. No, never. I love working with him. I want to work with him more. I'll, I'll tell you the story. I go to Hogan. I say, time for you to turn back, red and yellow. You go, do you think so, brother? I said, yeah, this, this NWO thing is so diluted. It's, it's gone. Red and yellow, that's who you are. Go out like that. So we shot the angle, right? Chicago, sold out. Four, I know, I figure right here, Bruce MacArthur, my friend, the building, United Center, right? $486,000. Milwaukee, the small building, 230 grand. The Palace, Sunday afternoon. Sunday afternoon, 330 or 40,000, right? Sold out. The Palace, Sunday afternoon. I never saw Hogan again. Eric is like, oh, that's too good. Yeah, very similar to the angle with me and Sting and Pillman and Iron. Too good. Next day, oh, my God, Angle should have gone forever, right? Instead, the next night, they booked me and Sting. He beats both me and Iron. And, uh, he walks, and he walks in the dressing room. I'll never forget that. And, he, and Eric's going, Sting's back. Sting's back. Yeah, not a word to me and Iron. NLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. There's never been a better time to refinance than right now. With real estate being so hot, your house could be worth more than ever. SaveWithConrad.com can help you use that new equity to pay off your credit cards or get rid of your PMI, saving you thousands. Interest rates are still at historic lows, but experts expect the rates to rise next year. Let SaveWithConrad.com get you the best rate you've ever had and save thousands. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket, and you won't make another payment until next year. Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. Now, at a later date, we're going to talk about your your various incarnations, the four horsemen. But, but Steve McMichael, the former horseman and Super Bowl winner with the 85 Chicago Bears, he's having a tough time right now. What's going on with Mongo? Because I know you go to see him in Chicago frequently. I'm going to go this weekend again. He has ALS. It's bad. I hate seeing that picture. And, and what a great guy. I mean, you know, I worked with Mongo. Yeah. I knew him through football, too. There's just nobody better. And there isn't just an incredible human being that came into our business and brought so much life, humor, love, respect. And I mean, le- legitimately a really tough guy, you know, but never exercised that. Just wanted to learn, wanted to have fun. And um, he and I became really close. I, we just, he knew that I love football. And, uh, I just couldn't talk to him enough about it. And of course, he and Kevin Green, Kevin and I were very close. We just lost Kevin too. Yeah, well, I, I certainly covered Kevin when he played here for the Steelers. And, you know. Yeah, good, good, great guys. And they brought, they brought so much to the product, not just name recognition, but when you got, you know, a Hall of Famer. And I'm sure that at some point in time, I can't figure out why his stats are better than, Ron, than Warren Sapp's, but. Um, Steve should be in the Hall of Fame. I'm oh, 100%. 100% Mongo should be in yeah. the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, he's having a really tough time. So, Well, I, I know you go to see him frequently, and I know that means so much to him. And let, let's talk about those 85 Bears. You're a big football guy. I think they're one of the greatest teams I've ever seen. But it's a mystery to me, and I'm sure to you too, Rick, that they only won once. That was a dynasty-level team that only got one ring, and that's kind of odd. Well, I, you know, the thing with those back then, remember the free agency, the free agency thing is what is what's hurting football. It's not hurting the ratings. 
but it was one time, you know, a team, the teams were, the network players were, were, they weren't, they were irreplaceable. Does that make sense? Yes. And there were so many, I mean, they, they, there were so many great teams back in, I mean, Miami, the Steelers, I mean, you look at the dynasties and I, they only won one, but I mean, winning one is a lot more than some one, right? Does that make sense? No, no question. And if you don't win one, then nobody remembers you at all. But people remember those 85 years. They had a lot of personality. And, of course, they had the phenomenal running back that, that passed away. Walter Payton, yeah. But when I went to see – well, when, I, when, I, when I've gone to see Mongo, you'd be amazed at the number of his ex-teammates. Everybody's come out. Everybody from Ditka to Bobby Hull, I'm good friends with both of them. Uh, of course, you being a big hockey fan, you love Bobby, but um, um, all the guys. I see Hampton all the time. Um, the big offensive tackle, I can't think of his name. Jumbo. Um, oh, anyway. Culver, Jim Culver. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jim he Culver. played for yeah, Pitt. So all, he played. Uh, yeah, all those guys have come around. Yeah. He wrestled at Pitt too, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, tried. I mean, did for a little bit. It just conflicted with football too much, as I recall. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, anyway. Um, Oh, by the way, did you guys win a game this weekend? No, we tied the winless team. I was hoping you might not bring that up. <laughs> and by the way, could ask me how many teams? Could ask me how many teams I have? I have lots of teams. Michigan won, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if they had lost, you wouldn't have mentioned them. I mean, <laughs> to and the of course, Georgia. <laughs> just the to talk plain to the listeners this podcast, Rick Flair is the biggest sports fan. The history of the genre. Whatever team's ahead is the team he for. No, Tell me true. I'm wrong. Tell me I'm not, wrong. Not, not true. If I don't know someone, by the way, I want to tell everybody I had the pleasure of hanging out with Lawrence Taylor Saturday night. That's always an experience. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. In fact, let's skip ahead. I and nobody, nobody has come along like him. No. Sorry, Charlie. Nobody. No. There he is. Well, uh, I, I I I was gonna a little bit later, but you, Taylor, you guys have been great friends. Remember in nineteen ninety, what was it? Nineteen ninety one at the Met, you beat Sting for the uh, for the WCW title. Yes, and it was in the snowstorm, and there was a big party afterwards, which I had with you at Lawrence Taylor's Sports Bar near the arena. No, uh, the the sports bars no. There. But Nate, you know what I recall? It was not only snowing outside; it was snowing inside. <laughs> I I know nothing. <laughs> I, I know it wasn't snowing on me. <laughs> no, it wasn't snowing all, either. All I know, snowing. all I know, is that you and I and Beth, you and I and Beth pulled out in a limo headed one way. He pulled out in a blue, blue Jaguar headed the other way. It was three o'clock in the morning, and the guy had three sacks the next day. <laughs> oh my god. It was it was unbelievable, and and uh, I got I got to ask, and we'll go into this in depth with you know name by name episodes of the podcast. Why do you think athletes love you and respect so much? I mean, you are the favorite wrestler of mainstream athletes, also of rap stars. Everybody loves Ric Flair, and that's obviously very gratifying to you as such a sports fan. But why do you think that is? Why you? I don't know. I mean, it, I didn't become aware of it until Snoop Dogg, you know, put me in that situation where he said I was the, the you know, I was bling before bling was bling, and then, then LeBron uh, was quoted after I, I had met him years before when he was in Cleveland at the old arena, 
um, out at Richfield when he was just like 18 or 19. I mean, just a young kid before he got, or maybe like his first year with the Cavaliers, but and he always came out to the matches. But um, then he said I was the founder of Swag, you know. So I just think that they all like, I mean, to this day, um, you know, I've just always liked jewelry. The minute I could afford it, I started buying. <laughs> I think it goes jewelry, Nate. I think the I, I think your quality as an athlete, the evident superiority you've shown over your career, I think that definitely fits in. But just to tell a story on my part, uh, Rick has come to Pittsburgh frequently for events like the Big Dapper Dan Dinner, which is this huge sports function, this banquet we've had in Pittsburgh for years. Rick came to that for about five or six years. And then more recently, Mario Lemieux has a celebrity golf tournament. Even though Rick doesn't uh, swing the clubs, he's come to uh, go to the banquet and have a good time. And, and I got to tell you, it's amazing seeing the mainstream athletes flock to Ric Flair. Like, uh, like I remember at one of the Dapper Dan dinners, LaVon Kirkland, the great linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers, when, when, he, met you, I, when he met you, I thought he was going to cry. He was just beside himself. He was saying how when he was a kid at 6.05, his mother would yell out the screen door, come on inside, LaVon, Ric Flair's on TV. And he would go in every time, no matter what he was doing. It really is just an amazing relationship you have with these guys. Yeah. Well, I'm fortunate. You know, I, I like and respect them, too. So I, I've met very few that I don't respect. I mean, it's like <clears throat> when I went to the uh, that Michigan uh, recruiting thing I, I about five years ago I, with Derek Jeter was there, uh, Tom Brady, a number of Lou Holtz, a whole bunch of people were there helping, uh, were supporting Jim Harbaugh's recruiting. And, uh, and they treated me like gold. And I can remember seeing Brady over in the corner and Wendy kept going, God, you going to go over and say hi to him? I said, no, I'm not walking over there. Wendy, not Ric Flair. Remember? Hello. Don't run over to people. Don't tell them <laughs> do it, okay? Don't do that. And I'll be damned if he didn't, well, like maybe made eye contact and he walked up to me and said, Hey, Tom Brady, I'm a big fan. He, he grew up in California, so I didn't know if he even knew who I was. Does that make sense? I know, I know he knew my, would know my name. Right. But you talk about a nice guy. I mean, I, but no faster than I could say hi. I was just starting to tell him how awesome he was. And Wendy said, where's Giselle? Where's Giselle? He <laughs> said, Wendy, it's Tom Brady. Calm down. You don't need Giselle. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, what a great guy. I mean, I mean, I thought to myself, because of anybody, if there's anybody alive today that could be a prick and just say, and just walk on by and never say shit to anybody, it would be him. Handsome, carries himself like a million dollars, dresses like a million dollars, never, never any adverse uh, publicity. I mean, just this guy is the all-American of all Americans. And I, I'm so honored to have met him and, you know, I, I'm a big, I, I like the Buccaneers because of Tom Brady and Ron Gronkowski and Derek Brooks. That's why I like them. Okay. You I like, like the them. Buccaneers because they just won the Super Bowl. No, I like, listen, I like, listen, I got to know, you should know this. I got to meet Aaron Donald. I want, I actually want the Rams to win this year. They got Aaron Donald, Von Miller, both of them. I know Aaron Donald couldn't be nicer to me. Same with, uh, when, uh, with, um, Von Miller. I mean, what a great guy. And that Sean McVay grew up in Atlanta, so I've made promos for their team. Yeah, I don't, I don't care if the Buccaneers win or lose. I, I mean, I just love football like you do. 
you want to see the, but I tell you right now, Tampa, between the hockey and the Rays and the success of the Buccaneers, this is the sports town right now. I mean, how right. do you argue? All right, Rick's in Tampa right now. That's where he's uh, he's residing. That's where this podcast is emanating from. And, and you're right about that. But but who's the best team in the NFL this year? The Bucs just got cracked by Washington yesterday. Then again, it's a crazy league. I mean, Baltimore just lost to Miami. New England killed Cleveland yesterday. Not that Cleveland's great. And New England is starting to be pretty good again. But where's this season headed in your mind? I think it's headed to the Rams. And uh, got it. if you watch it yesterday, you, you got you know, somehow – some way, Belichick, he, he's going to get in the playoffs. I mean, and that kid from Alabama, I believe that he's from Alabama, right? The quarterback? Oh, yeah, Mac Jones. Yeah, yeah. He is just playing lights out. I mean, of all the guys that came in this year, I mean, you don't know, I, I, I just think there's some really good football being played by some really good teams. And if guys are healthy, I know health has so much to do, I mean, with the outcome of the season and that. Cleveland, if they have Nick Chubb and, and the other kid, they're going to play a lot better. But when both of your two best running backs are down. Yeah, but they better start, Nates. They're only 500 now. They, I mean, you know, there's know. like so many teams in the AFC at five wins and six wins. If Tennessee hadn't got Derrick Henry hurt, and I know there's a question whether he'll be back, I would actually have made them the favorite in the AFC. But I think the AFC is totally up for grabs. I do know Pittsburgh won't win it. That's one thing I'm – fairly confident in uh i think baltimore in afc you gotta go to baltimore they're gonna be yeah right. they're gonna be okay just took the words i think lamar jackson's the mvp right now how about you yeah uh, yeah unbelievable i mean yesterday just um mcholmes had a phenomenal day i guess 400 and some yards five tds but day in and day out this year lamar has been the man i i'm fairly good friends with john i text john all the time and uh you know um you know, once again, if I know somebody on the team, I'm obviously going to pull for him. I've never met Lamar Jackson, but when he was at Louisville, I couldn't, I didn't miss a game he played in. He, it was like when Michael Vick was at uh, at um, um, Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech. I mean, I, when I saw him that game against Florida State, I never saw anything like it in my life. I said, "Who is this kid?" You don't hear of him at some of these smaller schools until they're on the national screen in a big game. And uh, so, go ahead. Do you, do you know do you know who John Harbaugh's college roommate was? Yeah, Brian Pillman. <laughs> I met John Harbaugh once, and I introduced myself. John was at Jim's recruiting party as well, and John walked up and told me that story. Yeah, I I, I met him one time, and I and I identified myself as a friend of Brian, uh, and I go, "You were his roommate," and I say, "Oh, the things you must have seen." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Brian was a pretty quiet kid until he got into business. When he walked in that door at WCW, Brian was just a nice kid. I mean, this business is, is unlike any other business because of the fact you never have a, there's, there's no time off. Even today, the kids are going four days on, three days off, if that's their schedule. And if you think about it, you get home, you're so tired, you sleep the first day, right? If you're normal. Me, I'd probably go out, change clothes. <laughs> well, no, that was me. But because I have a hard time sitting still to this day. But four days on, you come home, you get a day for the girls. They got to go get, they have to go get their manicures, their hair done, boom. And the next day they're packing and they're out again. So, you know, it, 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 it's a very tough schedule to this day. And, we're, and that's why these people that it's not like it, as rampant as it was, 
but it's so easy to formulate bad habits, social habits, because of the the extent of travel and the difficulty. I mean, they they have made it clear to me. Last last couple of times I went to Europe with the company, I wanted to kill myself. There's no, we, you'd work the event, then you fly to land at four o'clock in the morning the next time. You don't. There's no hotel parties like we used to have. <laughs> so they've learned their lesson. We we don't do well in the, in the hotels in Europe. <laughs> By that I mean you know, people miss bus rides. <laughs> Have you guys heard about the mobile game called 80s Mania Wrestling Returns? It's a pro wrestling general manager game for your Apple or Android device. It has a simple premise. Collect cards for wrestlers, managers, match types, venues, and more. Use your cards to book wrestling shows. The better shows you book, the more in-game cash you'll earn to collect more cards. There's unlockable bonus rewards in the game too. Team up the right wrestlers and you'll unlock their tag team card. Match certain wrestlers against each other, and you'll unlock their feud card. Create your own factions. Manage the rosters of other promotions inside the game universe. There's never a lack of ways to play the role of pro wrestling general manager with this game. And how cool is this? It's in the 80s and 90s, the greatest two decades in the history of pop culture and pro wrestling. And check it out. There's an entirely separate second game, just like this one, but it's set in the current world of pro wrestling and it's called Modern Mania Wrestling. Both 80s Mania Wrestling Returns and Modern Mania Wrestling are free to play and the developers are constantly updating both games with new characters and new features. To get either game, just search for 80s Mania Wrestling Returns or Modern Mania Wrestling. It's in the App Store or Google Play Store. Wrestling fans, pop culture fans, If you think you've got what it takes to manage a successful wrestling promotion, check these games out. You won't regret it. Modern Mania Wrestling and 80s Mania Wrestling Returns. Well, is it hard for a wrestler these days to improve at his craft when he's working so comparatively seldom? Like to your era, you would work 365 days a year. Nowadays, some wrestlers, I mean, I'm talking top guys, Nate. They only work 40 or 50 matches a year. Is it tough to get better? I mean, what are the pros and cons of that schedule? What's tough about is what makes you better is wrestling different people. So like I said, you have to have been in the business, in my opinion, and wrestled, you know, a couple hundred different people, which is sometimes hard to do, uh, to say that you wrestled 500 different people. Think about that. I wrestled 500 different people in two years. You know what I mean? You can imagine how many different people I've wrestled in, in the 40, what, how many years? Well, actually in the ring, 40 years, right? So uh, it's just, it's wrestling other guys. You only get better if you're put in a situation that you're having to compete to be better. And that is hard to do every night. But the guys that take pride in their work, they're going to go out there and they're going to do everything they can to do whatever they can to make the match the best. It's not about winning or losing. It's about leaving the people with a product, something they're going to say, holy cow, he can do that. She can do that. My God, it's unbelievable. I, I don't think anymore it's a question of who wins or loses as much as the impact of the quality of the event. Well, it's, and it's about connecting with the people too, to make them feel as if they know you, as if you know they're invested in you. And 
And, and you know, I'm a big fan of, of quote-unquote five-star matches, Nate Spit. I, I think that gets overrated. I think it's about the stuff you're talking about. Yeah, I told you. It's, and by the way, you know, I, I get where people say that term or not, but there's only a couple people, only a couple of people I can think of in journalism that are allowed to comment on what a five-star match is. I look at, I look sometimes at these recaps of the, like, the Monday show or the SmackDown show and the caps, the grades. And I look at you know, who are these people that are, that are, that are, that are actually taking the time and think that anybody gives a damn what they're critiquing when they know nothing about the business. They have no idea. It, it, and yet, yet the, the, the social media, oh my God, they didn't do this, they didn't do that. I mean, it, it, it's the kiss of death. Well, a, a big part of it to me too, Nate, and this aggravates me, the stuff you're talking mm-hmm. about, but, but, but some guys get five-star matches based on who they are and not what the match was. For example, on AEW TV recently, everybody raved about this match between Brian Danielson and Minoru Suzuki because of who was in it. And all they did was forearm each other in the chest over and over again. It was actually... Or, or, or like the other day, chop each other all night long. That was Danielson against somebody else, yeah. Right, exactly. Whereas, you know, in full disclosure, I'm a big fan, but Sammy Guevara had a match with Ethan Page that was superior to Danielson and Suzuki, but nobody said so because you're not allowed to say so. I mean, Brian Danielson just has to be the best worker. Kenny Omega has to be the best worker. And that's not to say those two don't earn it more often than not, but sometimes they don't. Well, that's the case, but you're saying it and I'll say it. You know what I mean? Don't You, you know why everybody chops everybody? To get the crowd to make a noise. Woo! That's the noise. Think about it. No, no. Think about how many, think about how many people chop in the business of Everybody. Hello? You know why? Because if nothing else, if nothing else works, if all fails, the crowd will go woo. <laughs> well, I think we're going to make him go woo with this podcast as well. <laughs> no, now, I mean, that's nothing wrong with that. No, no, no. I agree. You know why? Do you know why I used to chop guys? Because it took me that long to learn how to throw a good punch. And I refused to throw a good punch until I could really punch. So I taught Terry Funk one time, chopping a guy. I said, damn it, I can do that too. And then, of course, I worked with some guys that were, with very heavy-handed guys like Wahoo and Garvin and that that would pound them. You know, we would beat each other's brains out. But the kids don't like that. I'm not, and they shouldn't have to. We, we beat each other up, you know, cut our ears. I mean, our earlobes, our nose. I mean, we did a lot of stuff just to, to, to make ourselves better and to entertain the people probably more than we had to do what's the most matches you ever did in a year 382 382 yeah because my accountant said out that rick i know he didn't go i know you were 13 years in high school but you're only 365 days remember mark <laughs> twice on saturday twice on sunday for me i'll give you an example of one night when i was a world champion this happened numerous times I wrestled third on Rock in Raleigh against Nikita on a plane to Tampa to wrestle Dusty in the main event. Same night, Tuesday. Many times, Wednesday nights, we do TV in Raleigh and drive up to Wilson for an outdoor ballpark show. Every many times. Twice on Saturday, twice on Sunday. Easy. It may have been 392. Easily. 
Well, that that brings to to, to mind the next uh, discussion. There are only three touring NWA World Champions still living. You and the Funk Brothers, Terry and Dory Jr. And that is really an exclusive club, isn't it? Yes, it really is. And you know, you know it gives you know it gives me that do all the time when I see him. And I, I got the expression of Kevin Nash. He gets it. It it, it wasn't it. Was the greatest life in the world, but if you look, if I look back on it and the way, the way we traveled and what we did, I mean, I using Terry as a bit. I was a tam in uh, Japan with Terry when he was a champion. Of course, I was. I used to bug Terry. Huh, think I'm a champion. Think I'm a champion. Anyway, somehow he got he scalded himself in one of those saunas, which you have to be careful in, right? He wrestled for an hour. We just we just drowned his body in Neil's morning without wrestling an hour with open sores from burns. You know why? The show had to go on. Well, and even more so with, with the champ, and even more so in those days if you're the champ. Oh, yeah. I I wrestled with C5 cracked in my neck. I didn't do anything. I got in the ring, chopped a guy, and got back out, and the guys did all the work for me. But yeah, they weren't going to leave me home. You, if you're on the marquee, you go to work. I mean, and that's, you know, obviously the guy's protect each other and try to, but you know, the normal person, a normal person would not put themselves through what we do uh, on an everyday basis. That's why when I hear someone's got a hamstring that's making $40 million a year, it absolutely kills me that they can't play or they got a, a toenail, excuse me, my toe hurts, $30 million a year. I can't play basketball tonight. Eh. God. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, it, strikes, it strikes me, Nate, that outside of the plane crash, you never had a real severe injury, did you? I mean, you had wear and tear, but was there ever one really severe injury besides what you sustained in the plane crash? Uh, both my rotators, three three times, actually, my rotators. And then uh, that C5 in my neck rung a bell for about a month and a half. But they, they weren't at the, at the point now – Back in the 80s, where the, the, the advanced technologies they have for surgery to fix that. So I never had it refused. It just it healed itself. It left my tricep a little smaller. But as I said earlier, I was never Mr. America to begin with, so nobody noticed. You know, you may have noticed Orndorff's left arm. He had the same kind of thing I did. And mine came back a lot better than his did. His whole left arm, uh, you know, shrunk down probably two or three inches. And Paul's another guy with this, one of those incredible physiques. Probably didn't mean to leave him off the list by any means. And a tough kid. Why do you think that you didn't sustain more major injuries, given your schedule and given the longevity of your career? Was it just knowing how to work? Was it just luck? What were the factors? Luck. It's got to be God and luck. And also, I took, I take what, I take a lot of what's called control bumps. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, but but elaborate. I'm 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 well. I'm ninety percent sure. Like a press slam that I know that with Luger or Sting or the guys that know how to do it right, I was going to land on my back. That's no problem, right? I've been dumped on my head, you know, a lot of times, but nothing ever happened more than a stiff neck and and I also um you know I've been lucky with my knees. I mean, your knee knee injuries and stuff, and I I also think that I just I have, you know, after being bugged by so many people, I actually went and took that test, that DNA test. And the guy 
did, did it with me. I, I go up and train with Rob, John Cena's trainer. I drive up to Lakeland and train with him four days a week. So we did this thing. And he, he sat down, he said, do you have time to sit down for an hour? And I said, yeah. I said, there's some amazing things about you here. <laughs> Don't tell me. <laughs> but I have, I have some different, uh, different genetic things that <laughs> they're, are holding me together, hopefully for a few more years. Well, for example, uh, well, I have uh, I have a gene that that, that is a, that says I'm very immune to pain. <laughs> I could have told you that. No, no, seriously, no. I, I have uh, one of the things of, and I don't know how they break that down, but that's one of the reasons I damn near died because I had that I had a ruptured appendicitis for a day and was septic and just thought I had gas or a stomachache. You know what I mean? I walk in the hospital. This is not when I almost died. This is for in 15. And they were operating on me in 15 minutes. And I was like projectile vomiting, like Linda Blair, the green stuff. <laughs> but I just, I, it just, I just thought of it as being a pain. You know what I mean? So I, it, you learn how to work with it. And then the other thing was that um, when, when Warrior, you know, accidentally, Warrior suplexed me in Phoenix, Barkley was on the front row. I got that inner ear problem. And then um, I won't, and that's when I flew over to, 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 to make Brett the champion and I, in that match. I couldn't even get up and down because of the inner ear problems. If you've ever had that, you know, I, when you land, I literally could not get to my feet fast because I had no balance. So that, that healed, you know the story, I went five months, I went to Duke, I went to Mayo Clinic, I went to two other hawkers. My dad's a doctor. The day that I'm going to get a check for $750,000 tax-free because I paid I, I, I paid income tax on the premiums. All right, yes, so in other words, that meant I got it all tax-free. Uh, $750,000 and then another 250 for another five years, whatever it was. I woke up and it was gone. I went over, Mark, I hit my head against the wall five times. I said, what's wrong? What is, this can't be happening. I called my dad. I said, dad, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to go home and get a check. He said, no, you're not. Karma. I said, karma? He said, yes. He said, if you go take that check, there's nothing wrong with you. Karma. Now, I can tell you something that I can name five guys that aren't dead right, that have passed away that took those checks. So I, I'm inclined to believe my dad had, had something to say about it. Because everybody was riding those little Lloyds of London. You know the order. Come on. I'm not gonna mention your names. I'm not, but I mean I can't believe you didn't take it. No, my dad, my dad told me not to. My dad, believe it or not, even though most of my life I would do things and then get permission afterwards, which did not really work with my mom and dad. Uh, he, I actually took his advice. He said, son, it's karma to go collect that money if you got your health. Go enjoy the day. You'll make money again. <laughs> and you did. I didn't get it. No, but I mean, I'm looking at the guys that did get it. None of them are here. So I don't know. You know, I'm certainly not saying it's because they got the Lloyd's of London check, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to not never pat myself on the back, but I'll pat my dad on the back and thankful they told me not to get it because I would have, you know, stuff like that can haunt you down. You know what I mean? It's, it's like little things in your life. It's like when my son passed. I can't make up for the time 
that I wasn't with him. As you know, Mark, I took him everywhere. You came to watch him wrestle Bob in Pittsburgh. I took him to New York. We did everything. But you take your eye off someone for a second that's got a problem and you don't know about it, then somebody else is making the decision. So whoever told my dad made that decision to tell me, and you know, it went because you can't you can't predict what's gonna happen tomorrow. So I just I'm still here. I was supposed to be dead from four years ago, and I'm still here. Is it is it hard to believe you're still here? I mean, not just four years ago, but all things considered. I mean, you lived your life like you thought it wouldn't last long. I, that's what I do right now. But I don't, I don't start till 5 o'clock. I was starting at 10 in the morning before. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you're just drinking coffee as far as I can tell right now. Yeah, no, I, know. I never do anything from 5 o'clock. And just beer and wine. No liquor, nothing. No, I, I really I, I, that 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 daytime drinking can be really can can be contagious. Yes. Yeah, they put me in rehab for thirty five days. Gave me the coin. I flipped it in the air, walked across the street, and bought a beer. So there you go. <laughs> they want <laughs> they had me fooled, Mark, for a day, and then I figured it out. I mean, I literally I, I I was so wrecked that they put me in rehab, and I was just it was horrible. But it took me a day to realize that there's nobody there that can outwork me. So look at me on that. Put the camera on where I can see you. <laughs> okay, okay. So Mark, 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 no, Mark, look at me and say, are you okay, Rick? Are, are you okay, Rick? Yeah, why? <laughs> why yes? No, you're more okay than that. And I... <laughs> I you feel I okay, got... Mr. Flair? I feel fine, why? <laughs> well, I got to I got to tell you. You need to go back to your room. Yes. What what happened four years ago? I mean, made you stronger, don't you think? I mean, you got past it. Yeah, I, but it took me. It took me. It took me four years to get up. Yeah, but I don't. I don't think you're living perfect, Nate. But I think you're living better, don't you? I mean, you're happy. Oh my god, you're healthy. I mean, look at yourself. Yeah, my I quit working out. I quit doing everything, and now I'm working out regularly. Um, I, I really. If for my age, the guy tell Rob, unless he's lying to me, I don't think he is. I'm I'm the kind of shape that people aren't supposed to be in at my age. But I spend time doing it. I mean, and but my found for me, and everybody has to have motivation. I met Rob, I'd heard about him, but this this is John's friend. He is he was the head of uh, athletic trainer at the University of Georgia. He's been in charge of the combine. I mean, he's a world-class trainer. And I've learned, you know, when you own 10 gold gyms, you spent, you know, 50 or 55 years of your life working out. More than that, 58 maybe. Um, you think you know everything. Then you go meet a guy like that, you realize you know nothing. So I'm thankful for that opportunity. And, uh, it, it's you know, I, I, I'm, after we get done with this today, I'm going to go up there. And then I'll have a beer afterwards. <laughs> I think you could. I think you got one more match in you, Nate. What do you think? Most assuredly, and a lot of conversation. <laughs> really, do do go, do go on. Tell me more. <laughs> no, I mean I don't. No, I know. I mean I'm not, that's not going to happen. But could I do it? Absolutely. I'm I'm I, I'm in better shape now than I was when Sting and I wrestled that last match on Nitro. When you wore a shirt, I have to say. So that's after I'd shaved my head, I just went home and said, boy, what a way to end. I mean, I went home with my head shaved, my son's head shaved, 
my career in shambles. Because Vince called me and said, you want to come to work? I said, yeah, man, tell me when. And then you're back home for a year. So then I had to go home, which I hadn't been home my whole life, and sit home for a year. Hence, daytime drinking. The minute the country club opened. <laughs> I wasn't used to being home and I wasn't used to being under control. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but like like you said, look at you now, better shape than you were then. Yeah. And I got I, one thing we haven't talked about, we'll we'll wrap it up on this. Uh I thought the thing you did with Andrade in Mexico City oh, with uh, with Conan and Kenny Omega was just fabulous. And when you got physical, uh, I thought I thought it was so great. I didn't expect it, so I popped like crazy. Yeah, no, I can do anything. I'm, I'm fine. WWE won't let me do anything because even though I'm released, and I totally understand, uh, um, you know, they've got so much liability. That I told them I would sign anything, but they, you know, nobody wants. I don't think anybody wants me to die on their watch. Does that make sense? I don't think. Yeah, but no, but I. I've i I'd rather die in the ring or die doing something, you know. I'd rather you not die at all. No, but I mean if I have to go, rather I mean I'm not gonna die, I'm not gonna jump off the nineteenth floor. I'm not gonna, you know, I'd rather not spend another thirty one days in ICU and life support. Does that make sense? Uh, but enough of that talk. Nate, I gotta tell you, you gotta promise me right here and now that you're gonna outlive me. Because I have never pondered the thought of a world without Ric Flair. I'm not sure I could, I'm not sure I could cope. Well, I, I don't, I don't ever think about it, but since you asked me the question, I, I get, I reflect on it. And those were, it took me three years to get back on my feet after that. I did not just snap up. I mean, I had a, that stoma that Wendy changed every day. We hired a, a private nurse, but on the weekends we got somebody else. And finally Wendy went and took that class on, treating a stoma and it, it, it's it's just nothing that anybody the very intimate disgusting thing that that it's a health issue that that i had to have i had it for a year and wendy changed it it's like changing a diaper on a kid right i mean what are you gonna do you lay there and it, it, it's terrible and i i can never ever thank her enough who would take that job on because it, it could bust open at three o'clock in the morning and I couldn't change it myself. So I would call Wendy and say, well, you're coming at 3 o'clock in the morning. Can I help you? Yeah, please. You know what I mean? It's hard to explain. And you got it fixed, too, which really beat the odds. Not too many people get that fixed. I did. I got Well, I got it fixed. So here's the deal. Because nobody ever wants to tell you the truth. They always want to tell the person they're with. So I go in. And they waited a year. They, wanted, I couldn't, they were going to do it in six months. I said, Let, let's wait a year. They kept taking x-rays. So I go in and bingo. Surgery, fine. Ta-da. Wendy's daughter sets up a computer. I got TV to watch and all that. We are still first day. One day. Two day. Three day. Four day. Five day. Six day. Seven day. Eight day. Ninth day, the doctor tells Wendy, which I don't know because then Wendy didn't want to tell me, but I was getting the feeling if it doesn't take by tomorrow, we got to put it back on. Guess what? I woke up in the morning, got there, it worked. I text Vince a picture of my blood pressure and my heart rate. I said, I'm out of here. Woo. 
Tenth <laughs> <laughs> date. I mean, you know, you know that I, I cut it real close twice now. So, yeah, I'm, I'm real sensitive to stuff like that. You think in, until you've been in that position, and then all you want to do is thank the people and, or tell the people you love that you might not have. You know, you don't remember, I couldn't remember. I did not remember anything for six months except stuff going forward. Like I saw my 30 for 30, the first time I ever out of the house, I don't even remember seeing it. You know, I got out of the hospital uh, and, and I was home. Uh, it premiered November 7th of 17, or yeah, 17 in Atlanta. That was the first time I was out of the house and I'd been in the hospital since what, August 5th, and then to the rehab facility and then home. And I never, I could hardly walk. I mean, it was horrible. I lost all my hair. And then, like I say, I went to the, then, then I saw it again. That's when I got pissed off at Sean and Jim Ross. <laughs> I go, what do you mean? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who Richard Flair is, but you know what? The truth hurts. I don't. I, it, when, when I was younger, I did, Richard Fleer did not exist. I didn't. And yes, Jim Ross is right. I bought everybody in the, in the joint a round of drinks. He was incorrect in saying that I was lonely and, and went to my room alone every night. That, that probably he thought he was doing me a favor, but that hurt. <laughs> that never happened. <laughs> so. Well, Nate, that wraps up episode one on, on, a, on a funny note. Uh, what do you think? How'd we do? Are we done? Yeah. No, that's it. 90 minutes. 90 we didn't knock minutes. We didn't, we didn't knock anybody. Oh, there's plenty of time for that moving forward. Oh my God. Let me assure you. I've got to knock somebody. We'll do it next week. I promise. <laughs> Love you, man. Love you, man. Good Woo! job, Nate. Woo. We'll talk again next week. You're listening to Woo Nation Uncensored. I'm Mark Madden. That is Ric Flair. The Nate. It's your boy. What's causing all this? Woo. Woo!